will fix you. Hello, and welcome to We Will Fix You, the podcast that was originally a series of viral adverts for Hobson's hoof-based glue and liver tincture. Mm. Joining me tonight to uh, perk you right up, such as a tincture might, myself, Roger Hart, inventor of the biodegradable, degradingly biological fetish starter kit, Ms. Clarion McGuire who's running on a platform to swamp the drains. And Mr. H.J. Doom, who has been coughing up spiders for long enough that it's starting to seem like something might be seriously wrong with their lungs. <laughs> Wriggly. If you would like us to help you, why not write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or on the internet at hauntedphonograph.com. Our question this evening pertains to the workplace. Dear, we will fix you. Some recent org chart ructions mean my workplace has gone properly Game of Thrones. Politics, posturing, and whispers. This is exhausting. I am bad at it, and it gets in the way of doing useful stuff. Also, it's 2019, and we're all tired enough already. How does a resolutely non-political bit player best survive, or, or at least not get shat on, in an increasingly political environment? Yours, disposable background Lannister number 23. Yes. H. It seems to me that you have potentially been luckier than you might think to fall into such a hotbed of treachery and deceit. This is for two reasons. The first is that Game of Thrones is a much beloved television show, probably because the tales of violence, incest, torture and black magic feel like a fucking holiday compared to the ongoing hell that is current affairs. The second is that with Big Brother being cancelled, there's a gap in the market for a reality TV show in which Britain can try and work out who, out of a group of absolute wankers, they are reluctantly prepared to decide is their favourite. It's piss-poor entertainment, but it's probably the single thing that has contributed most to a wider understanding of how a democracy actually works. What you're going to do is turn your scheme-ridden workplace into the next reality TV hit by installing plenty of hidden cameras and microphones throughout the office. I'll leave the fiddly details of this bit up to you, but if it were me, I'd be starting with a janitor's uniform and a really big false moustache, one of those huge Victorian jobs that really lend a man or a woman a sense of gravitas. With the cameras installed, simply run the feeds to your office computer and start streaming it live on Twitch. 
you can switch between different cameras in order to follow where the best backstabbing is going on or to follow characters that your audience have somehow grown attached to. You'll probably want to stir that pot a little bit more to ensure that your new series starts with a bang. So try telling Tracy from accounts that the powers that be are thinking about restructuring her department to merge it with the sales team. I mean, everyone hates the sales team. Uh, or try telling the office manager that there's a rumour going round that they sharted in a high-level strategy meeting and that's why the department budget has been cut. Habitual paranoia will do the rest. And before you know it, you'll have a cult hit on your hands as audience tune in to discover what awful things your colleagues are plotting. You might struggle to have any genuinely likeable characters that's okay. Just tell your audience that one of your less ugly colleagues has cancer. People fucking love pretty people with cancer. A pretty person with cancer could shit in the queen's mouth while she sleeps, and the media narrative would be about how amazing it is that they won't let cancer stop them from doing their weird sex crimes. Just make sure that it's one of the good cancers. Breast cancer is definitely best, but... Bone and blood cancers will do fine in a pinch. Just make sure you steer clear of icky cancers like bowel cancer or cancers where there's an outside chance it might be their own fault like lung cancer and you'll be fine. Now, the final and most cunning part of the plan is to invite some of your more popular colleagues to a big meeting and then have them brutally murdered while a minstrel sings a plangent song associated with your house. Now, in my case, that would be Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West, but you might want to go with something with a little more emotional depth, like Shaggy's O Carolina or the theme from Neighbours. This savage act of violence that I'm going to call your red meeting is what is referred to as a water cooler moment, a moment that crosses outside the usual audience for your show to encompass a much wider cultural conversation. People across the land will be discussing who will be killed off next, as indeed will your colleagues. At this point, you will almost certainly be sufficiently rich from all those sweet Twitch advertising dollars that you'll never have to work again. Just make sure not to do the actual murders yourself. There's almost certainly someone in your office only one step away from going postal, probably half a dozen. So just leave a loaded pistol and a copy of The Catcher in the Rye in their desk drawer and remember to schedule your red meeting for 4pm on a Friday afternoon, and you can be pretty sure that nature will take its course. If none of your colleagues have quite the necessary degree of misanthropy to engage in a small workplace massacre, this can be readily altered by simply hiring someone who used to work in retail. And voila, your problems with workplace politics have suddenly become a good thing. You'll be heralded as the greatest TV producer of all time in all likelihood, and your promotion prospects will be looking up as soon as you give crazy Tony from customer services a Kalashnikov and a key to the executive bathroom. Now, this sounds bad, but I've got some goodish news for you. It's a richly covered problem space. Broadly a political actors being thrust into political situations and profoundly stupid or contrived ones at that, is the mainstay of a corpus of thought that's been studied, considered, and tirelessly fucked on about for well over 400 years. And that is the tragedies of William Shakespeare. In fact, scholars for generations have seen tragedy as what falls out of the smooshing together of two 
competing and irreconcilable sets of stupid opinions. That's the technical description, by the way. I think I got it out of Terry Eagleton's summative masterpiece, Sweet Violence, The Idea of the Tragic. Good book. But um, let's, let's consider Hamlet, Shakespeare's most tragically overperformed and under-edited play. In it, Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, an apolitical man, little more than a boy, in fact, and credulous in that childish, rather gap-year-a-posh-kid way, has a, has a terribly spiritual experience while sulking about the death of his dad. Little H-Dog sees a ghost and spends the next three... Th and spends the next three fucking hours dithering on about the notional obligation of blood that means he should kill his uncle, versus the reliability of evidence, can he trust the ghost, can he be certain of anything, versus the justice of revenge, the fate of his soul, and, and the fact that deep down he'd far rather just, you know, bone down with Ophelia. Sounds a lot like an organisational restructure to me. New chap in at the top, questionable circumstances, unknown motives, maybe a ghost, lots of unreliable advice. Plus, you'd probably rather be somewhere else. In Hamlet's case, back at college, the aforementioned boning, or hanging out with pirates. In your case, probably something to do with quarterly sales? Eh, we can't all be Prince of Denmark. Now, Hamlet's solution to survive the intrigues of court while advancing his own end is to pretend to be insane and get into amateur dramatics. You could argue the toss on the overlap, and certainly combining them will save you some time. His cover for acting, weirdly, is to feign this antic disposition, as he calls it, and by and large he gets away with it. Although it is mostly kind of just a bit of free association and an awful lot of sexual harassment. And since this is indistinguishable from the conduct in most modern boardrooms, you, you might have trouble making a mark with that one. But perhaps you could try a softer version. Assume a disposition of severe stress and slight oddity, just more commensurate with the workplace. Introduce some rhyming couplets into your speech just to sort of keep people off balance. Be a little absent and vague, but, but not so much so that the CEO pays your school friends to spy on you. Oh, and, and don't do the sexual harassment thing like you want to not get fired. This, this isn't this isn't medieval Denmark. Keep, keep it just shy of Office Weirdo, and most of the drama will probably pass you by. Now, speaking of drama, Hamlet stages a play, um, but we, we don't quite need the thing we're in to catch the conscience of the king. Um, drive by directing a troupe of hapless actors to stage a heavy-handed metaphor for your reorg may be going a bit far. But if you want to try and steer the chaos, um, try and make some kind of impact, you could could do sort of a bit of what Hamlet's trying to do. He's trying to lay out this scene that will reveal the king's guilt by analogy and see his reaction. So you could work some magic. So you could work some matching analogies into your emails or your anecdotes or the reports you're writing or just sort of things you're doing around the office. Or maybe encourage your colleagues to watch The Thick of It, or The Death of Stalin, um, or Wag the Dog, or something. Some kind of big, incredibly daft, farcical political movie. Something to show them the grimy futility of playing politics. It might work. Again, the key is to keep it light. Don't go full Hamlet. 
oh Christ, never go full Hamlet. There are three competing texts. The modern Arden doesn't cut them. Uh, a, a glued together performance with, with even a light edit is nearly four hours. Christ, don't go full Hamlet. Um, never mind the suffering of the audience. It also doesn't go so great for our prince. He basically, by the end, he basically faffs around Elsinore, racking up a non-trivial body count, getting his best friends hanged and getting his girlfriend to commit suicide. Killing her dad was a bit of a fuck up too. By the end of it, the Danish org chart is looking pretty sparse. He's got the entire senior leadership killed and had to draft in an interim CEO from Norway. He pretty much only ends up doing anything at all after getting into a stand-up row with an external consultant who he later kills. And it's, it's, it's all downhill from there. So, I don't know, maybe, as I say, going, going full Hamlet isn't really such a good idea unless you want to do a bunch of murders. Come to think of it, like most tragic protagonists don't do so great out of the whole deal. Lear has a positively miserable time. Macbeth has stopped enjoying himself by the end of Act One. Uh, you go before Shakespeare, doesn't go great for Antigone unless you really, really care about repointing your brickwork. Uh, mm, mm. Perhaps the key is to stay in the background. Perhaps stick to that non-speaking role or just let it wash all over you. Um, if you're going to Hamlet, Hamlet gently, but background role would be my recommendation. It will be frustrating, but you won't have to join a drama club. Clary Maguire. For solutions, we must look to the seas. Davy Jones' locker, the briny deep, old Captain Cameron's salty fumble chalet, the ocean. 70% of the Earth's surface is covered by water, and in that timeless cold and dark the art of camouflage has reached apotheosis. To reject the lesson of the sea would be folly and insult on a level that I can tell from your typing alone you've neither the stomach or spine for. Of the many ways that Neptune chooses to go full Rick Baker, there are four techniques of proven success that are most applicable to an office environment. 1. Countershading. 2. Active camouflage. 3. Distraction. 4. Mimesis. 1. Countershading. Countershading, or Thayer's Law, is a technique deployed by sharks, whales, orca, almost all of the big pointy fish type jobs. It's the thing where an animal's pale on its belly and dark on its back. The easiest way to replicate this is through a daily full body application of Tipex and electrical tape. Alternatively, get Sandra from HR to teach you how to do contouring. Two, active camouflage, as used by such animals as predator, cuttlefish and the peacock flounder. This is the technique of actively and constantly changing your appearance to blend in with your surroundings. Panoramic photos of the inside of your office and enough stolen iPads to cover a human man are your tools here. Super glue may help. Three, distraction. Squid noblest of the tapas animals, disappearing in a cloud of ink like it wants to inspire a sad office man of limited literal and emotional resources. Sling that printer toner like the admin Mephistopheles you know you can be. A small fire may also be useful here. 4. Mimesis 
our final technique, as employed by stick insect, dragonfish and saber-toothed blenny, is mimesis, in which species evolve to resemble other inhabitants of their ecosystem so closely that predators shun them and prey fail to recognise them. You are almost certainly already doing this. Wear your hoodie and open every conversation by claiming to be Chris from IT. Well, that was certainly a set of dramatic and fulsome fixes. And if you also would care to be fixed, why not write to us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com or at hauntedphonograph.com. Goodbye for now.